Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Let's jump into it. So I uh, started off, uh, we haven't done one of these in a few weeks. Luckily, Sundance was in there, so I didn't yeah. see that many non-Sundance movies, uh, but I have some stuff to talk about. Uh started off with a documentary called Coming Clean. Uh, directed by Andy Timoner. And this is the reason I wanted to watch this because it was directed by Andy Timoner who made Dig, one of the all-time great rock docs. Oh, sure. Uh, but this is an, an, an issue uh, doc about the uh, opioid uh, hmm. epidemic or or, uh, or or what have you. Um, and uh, it's more than just, it's not, it, when I say it's an issue doc, it's an issue advocacy doc. It is not, an overview of the opioid epidemic, it clearly has um, treatment policies in mind that the movie supports and it profiles politicians who have um, uh, pursued those, um, those treatment policies. So um, uh, I'm not against the movie that, uh, you know, has a case to make and makes that case. It doesn't necessarily make, for the most cinematic experience um, sure. but uh yeah it's it's fine <laughs> all right moving on uh, moving on to uh all right another another entry in natalie's uh N- natalie shows david her i am enjoying favorites. this series i really am well this is one that i only knew by reputation as being a bad movie not realizing um how great the cast is and not realizing it was directed by Susan Seidelman who made desperately seeking, seeking Susan, one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm talking of course, by 1989's she devil. Oh, which I feel like got caught up in that era's like Roseanne backlash. Cause there was like the, do you remember they like the national anthem and, sure. and it was like, and, and her and Tom Arnold, everybody hated them. And yeah. so I feel like that late eighties, early nineties, Roseanne, uh, there were, her career was blowing up and there was a big backlash against her at, yeah. at, at the same time. I was recently um, listening as I tend to do while I'm like cleaning up the kitchen and stuff. I was listening to old episodes of Siskel and Ebert and I was listening to the one for she, uh, the review of she devil and they both, I don't think they necessarily, they didn't hate it. I don't think they liked it, but they liked her. They, I think they thought she did a really good job, which sort of surprised them at the time. Yeah, no, I, I think she's, She's great. I think the movie's a lot of fun. Um, it, it also, uh, so um, she plays a housewife whose husband, Ed Begley Jr., is an accountant who then has a run-in with a wildly successful romance novelist played by Meryl Streep, has an affair with her and ends up leaving uh, his wife, uh, Roseanne. Uh, Roseanne Barr is not, not the character's name, but uh, leaving his wife for uh, Meryl Streep and uh, Roseanne's character undertakes a Natalie and I were like sort of like trying to figure out how much time over how much time the movie takes place months, if not a year or more uh, this plan to completely ruin uh, um, uh, Ed Begley Jr. and Meryl Streep's uh, uh, uh their own affair and their, in their life together. And this is, it's a, it's fun to be reminded with a movie like this or like 
adaptation like Meryl Streep the great grand dame of American cinema is yeah. always game to be goofy as hell yeah. when the movie calls for it. Yeah. And she's a total delight, uh, in, in, uh, in, in she devil as this, uh, the, this, this woman who's, uh, got the world at her fingertips. She makes, uh, um, uh, just buck, buckets of money, uh, make it right in these romance novels. And, uh, uh, suddenly, she brings this man into her life and his kids and then and her world just completely falls apart because of the things that Roseanne is doing. Uh, again, her character has a name, but I'm just going to say Roseanne uh, is, is doing to, to her with the help of, uh, uh, as I mentioned, Meryl Streep, Roseanne Barr and Ed Begley Jr. The fourth leg of the table as it were in she devil sure. is Linda Hunt. Uh, there you go. Uh, and uh, she, and, comedy she and Roseanne, yeah, she and Roseanne kind of team up together. Um, I also, I love, I love Ed Bigley Jr. Uh, playing a cad. You know, I feel like he seems like such a nice guy that I like when he plays uh, uh, jerks. Yeah, because uh, because uh, he, he's a total like he's introduced as this total milk toast who has like his own very small like rundown shabby uh, uh, accountant accounting firm, and then as soon as he gets a taste of the money and the high life, he just uh, is so so shallow, so superficial, and starts to behave as if it's something that he has deserved for some reason uh, mm. and that anyone uh including his wife and children who are trying to keep him from it are uh are, are standing in his way and, and and trying to grind him down it's a it's a it's a funny uh and very good performance good performances all around i like she devil all right what did you watch all right so this is a rewatch uh in the spirit of i did we do um new year's resolutions for patreon or did we do an actual that was, episode? that was patreon that was patreon uh but i actually did decide to to uh at least partially uh follow through with one of my resolutions and that is to rewatch uh movies that i haven't seen in a long time that i know i maybe i know i like it maybe i don't but i know i haven't seen it in a while so i kicked that off with a rewatch of the magnificent ambersons and uh wow like I first saw, I think I saw it in high school and I hadn't seen it since oh. I've had it on Blu-ray for a while. And I just decided to, th to throw it in. Um, cause I was, I was in a Wells kind of mood, which is maybe the nerdiest thing that I've ever said, but it is me. Whew. What a wonderful film. Yeah. I mean, of course, the better it is, the angrier I get um, in retrospect at uh, RKO, but even, even, so torn up uh and I, I guess it does speak to the the skill of robert wise as the editor because he's the one that like was brought in mm. orson wells was very upset with him for doing it but like he was the one that was brought in to like m to cut out things but still have it make sense and it still does yes it does move at a pretty quick pace but man it's it's so fascinating. I mean, I, I adore Kane, obviously, but I think this immediately launched into like top three or four wells for me. Um, I love Kane. And one thing that people, including myself, often say is like, man, this, this, this kid was 25 when he made this film. But then he made the Magnificent Ambersons, which I think is an even more mature film. Like he tonally, I feel like uh, his choice to make this and then the way in which he made it, which just is this, you know, elegiac, 
uh, mournful, uh, I don't know. It, it's the kind of thing that you're like, how on earth could, a, uh, once again, how on earth could a young person have mm-hmm. made this? It feels like someone at the end of their career would make this. But I do think, because between watching it then and watching it now, I've read a lot of books about Orson Welles. And I genuinely feel like he sees the Tim Holt character as him. He sees George Amberson or George. Uh, I now I don't remember the name of the character. He considers himself like an Amberson first, but he has his father's uh, last name. Um, he looks like Wells. Hmm. And we, if you know about like Wells biography, you can see a lot of, a lot of similarities as far as like, just like this petulant kid that is treated. So um, like he's like, he's, so special um but also there is this idea that that wells um you know there was there there was like the this extra man in his life uh there was his father there was his mother but then there was this other guy who was the doctor whose last name was steen by the way um uh in case anyone was wondering about the name of the character from uh citizen kane but um and he hung around so much and was so close with well's mother that there was a lot of talk about um not only were they having an affair but the idea is like i wonder if wells if wells was actually this guy's kid so like there's there's Mm. stuff like that so you have here this petulant character this this young man who sees this other guy and just cannot deal with that and so it's, I, I've always found Wells films interesting because I do think they, they're, even though, even as genre films, I think they're way more autobiographical than, than people uh, have given them credit for. And I think this is right up there, even so far as to have a young character that we don't particularly like uh, sort of be the stand in for, for Wells. And, and even though I don't think that's necessarily, I don't think it's, that's the reason he did it. I think just the, the, the sadness of this bygone era and these characters who are uh, unable to adapt to this new world, his choice to make this movie, the, the choices that he made within the film, including to not star in it himself. But I think his, his narration, not only is it written well, but it's delivered beautifully by him. It's, I, I cannot say enough good things about it. Um, and of course, yes, it does. As I've said before, it does bother me that we are still seeing the the compromised version. And it just makes you wonder how astonishing the full version would be. I think Wells himself said that he considered it better than Kane. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but this is what we have and it's still mm-hmm. pretty good. Yeah, you know. yeah. Let's let's spend more time celebrating what we have. Then. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. So uh, next up, I watched a movie called Black Bear, directed by Lawrence Michael Levine. Yes, that is his name, Lawrence Michael Levine. Um, and uh, so, okay. Narratively, this movie has some tricks up its sleeves. I'm not going to go into about its concept and how it makes you uh, question what you're seeing. So I'll just describe the narrative as it appears at first at least okay. which is that uh aubrey plaza plays a, an independent filmmaker who has uh rented a um a a 
cabin in the woods uh um on a, on a lake uh, that's specifically like the, it's all, the the couple who own the cabin live on the property in their house and they're played by christopher abbott and sarah uh get on um and uh um they rent this the 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 cabin on or, or at least a small house on their property a small lake house on their property to artists that's what they that's who they marketed to this is a place to come look for inspiration i get away from it all um and that's uh, ostensibly what Arby Plaza's character is there to do except this couple who own the uh uh <laughs> the land are always around and are not the least bit fun to be around because they're clearly a very unhappy married couple um and so the movie is like darkly funny but also often very uncomfortable like it's mm. a it's a very like th- this couple is unhappy in ways that are very realistic and uh um and the the sort of uh uh i guess i'll use the term microaggressions that pass from from husband to wife or wife to husband uh mm. start to like uh as they build up everyone feels like a a you know a a shock a needle to the skin um uh but the 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 movie has other things uh uh on its mind and is not exactly um our plaza's character isn't exactly a hero uh uh herself um i think uh uh christopher abbott and 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 his performance as the kind of like sensitive guy who's really like an insecure asshole um which is a, a type that i have known <laughs> yeah i think um, you've known uh on a number of levels you've known that type um wait are you calling me a sensitive uh asshole i'm calling both of us sensitive assholes. Oh, okay um uh, uh his performance is really great but the uh it's hard for me to not talk to not talk about where the movie goes but what, what i'll say is that uh Lawrence Michael Levine, who's made uh, a couple of movies that I've heard good things about, but I had not uh, uh, seen. Um, let me let me pull it up. He made uh, no, that says an actor. He's also an actor. Uh, oh, he made Wild Canaries and Gabby on the Roof in July. Both movies I've heard of and have heard good things about, but hadn't seen. Uh, makes me want. This makes me want to see them because this has. It appears to have this very sort of like shambolic indie, like modern day indie. Uh, uh, aesthetic but there's a lot of control to this this chaos and the movie does become again I don't want to talk about the second half of the movie very much but it does become quite chaotic and and his sense of control over it and uh, the the cinematography which again has that sort of is deceptively like loose and handheld and 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 run and gun uh but i think the images are actually uh, there's a lot of control over over the images and what you're seeing when you're seeing what's in the frame um and uh yeah terrific performances from your central three uh, uh actors there so uh that's black bear uh moving on to uh, a movie i won't spend much time on uh fisher stevens palmer this is uh um Justin Timberlake's sort of uh, lame, serious, uh, serious role movie. He uh, uh, plays a guy who's just gotten out of prison and returns to his uh, uh, small hometown to live with his his grandmother, uh, put by June Squibb. Um, and uh, on the uh, again, this is a common theme. Someone owns a house and then rents out another thing on their property. June Squibb rents out a trailer on her property that has lived. Uh, in by Juno Temple, who is a 
terrifically talented actor who is repeatedly typecast as just like sexy low life. <laughs> that's like the, that's the role that people seem to want to put her in, but she's incredibly talented. Um, uh, but here, yeah, she's playing the sort of drug addict. Who's a mom. She lives in a trailer with her young son, but she's gone just as often as not. So June Squibb is sort of a surrogate mother to this, this boy because his, his mom just disappears for weeks at a time. Uh, but then June Squibb dies and you wouldn't believe what happens. This, hardened violent criminal ends up having to take care of this precocious kid well i assume you know nothing that like his his outer protective shell is not breached in any way i assume (laughs) it's it's really a story of these characters just if anything getting more distant from each other How well, am really, I doing, it's how a, I doing on it's that? A, what, it's really a story of, and this is just the sort of thing I think of, think about because my wife is a, a social worker. But it's a story of, at multiple turns, people who should absolutely be calling the authorities, not calling the authorities. Sure. If if a vi- if, if 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 a parolee for a violent crime is repeatedly left alone in the company of a child, that's something that if you're you know, a police officer who happens to know uh, Justin Timberlake's character, or if you're the kid's teacher who knows this is going on, like not only should you ethically report something, you literally, if someone you finds to. out you didn't report it, you could lose your job. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm a, I'm a mandated reporter. Yeah. Uh, so there's, there's multiple instances of, of that. The movie's just, it's just real, uh, real corny. Uh, I don't have anything else to say about it. Uh, okay, so next is me. This is another rewatch. Uh, Jen and I are, are back on track uh, watching the Star Wars movies, and so I watched Star Wars: The Last Jedi, which I have not had not seen since uh, since seeing the the critic screening of it. Um, and I still like it. I still like it a lot. Um, oh, I love it. Yeah. That I, again, like uh, from a thematic standpoint, I understand why that Monte, Monte Carlo sequence is there. It also, but it really, you know, the whole movie is a ticking clock. And when you have these characters, they're there for a reason, but they keep getting sidetracked, uh, whether it be just the stuff they're talking about or, or whatever it is um, by like, Oh, all the, the, all these rich people doing these, these, things that are living a life that they don't like um, or they don't approve of, or, or, you know, profiting on, on the, on the star war. Um, So I get why I get why that's there. And I do like the idea of branching out and seeing more of the galaxy and that there, there are places that are seemingly unaffected by everything that's been going on. And, and that, those places are, are people that either by like in the Mandalorian, the, the fringe of society or the people that are like above everything. So I like the idea of that. Uh, I really just don't think it's, it's particularly pulled off, but the rest of the film really works for me, especially uh, even in rise of Skywalker, which as you know, I don't care for, but the Kylo Ren and Ray through line in all three movies works marvelously for me and here in the throne room with with snoke and and that sort of thing like i think they really do such a wonderful job together they have really great chemistry and also um you know that adam driver has that wonderful line where he talks about how like you're you're nothing 
you know, he's talking about like where she comes from and lineage is obviously so important in this world. And he's saying like, you don't have any lineage, you're nothing. And then he says, but not to me. And it's, it's such, it's like, it's this weird, it's, it's incredibly endearing and, and kind of vulnerable and an expression of affection right on the tail end of the most devastating thing you've ever heard, which makes him in that moment, like particularly evil in his own way. Um, and then I love, I love the portrayal and, and the writing of Luke Skywalker, um, Somebody recently in a comment section for one of our episodes uh, said that like my frustration with the movie Mank as a Wells fan uh, should make me a little bit more sympathetic towards like Star Wars fans (laughs) with The Last Jedi. And I get I get what I get what they're saying. um, But for it also it also doesn't help that like for me, I also just don't think that Mank as a movie or as a character is particularly dynamic. Um, whereas here, I do think that like the, the changes they make within Luke Skywalker, I think it, it definitely deepens the mythology. And I just like what I just like him as a character. And I like how committed he is to uh, not being actively involved with, with what's happening. So there are a lot of right, you know, writing and directing choices here that I really respond to. And I do think that he, Ryan Johnson as a visualist, it really does some amazing things, both in his career and in the series. He comes up with just a handful of really iconic images that might as well be still images. And in some cases, they're sort of treated that way. And you come away thinking, I, granted, maybe if people aren't a fan of the movie, they might not think of them that this way. But like, I come away thinking of a series of just very specifically yeah. framed, you know, obviously like the, the, the transport that does light, uh, light speed through a star destroyer, the, the two characters standing back to back, uh, in order to, to, uh, fight off all these other guards and stuff. It's, uh, yeah, it, 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 it works really of, well for me to say nothing of Ray's whole, like uh, trippy sequence. Yeah. Oh, so I love cool that. Looking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that's the other thing is like, we kind of delve into the, the, the force, but also just the heart of the Jedi. And, and it's, it's strange and uncomfortable at times. And I think that's, again, this, this whole, I think this film, maybe it betrays the mythology in some way, but to me, it deepens it and makes me take it a little bit more seriously emotionally. Um, And yeah, it, it still works for me, this movie. Um, All right. Next up for me is uh, a movie that I, went in not knowing uh, i say went in i don't go into theaters you know i went into the movie uh not knowing anything about and it knocked my socks off and i really think tyler you would like it too uh that's supernova not the uh failed uh james spader uh vehicle from that's the only one i care about and you're not going to change my mind uh this is the the new uh movie supernova which is not uh despite the title is not a science fiction movie at all um uh colin firth and stanley tucci play a uh, a couple who have been together for decades who are uh, they live in uh, in in england and they've decided to uh colin firth is a a concert pianist who's semi-retired but he's got you know he's been asked to do this 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 performance it'll probably be his last performance they've decided to drive it's the other side of the country they've decided to get into a camper van and take a nice drive across, uh, across England together to, to where this performance is revisiting, uh, uh, places they visited uh, when they were 
uh, first falling in love and revenge and visiting groups of, of, of friends who live out in, in the countryside. Um, and what the movie, uh, introduces i would say fairly early on but it still came as kind of a surprise is um the uh information that this isn't just because it's colin first's uh last um last performance it's because stanley tucci's character is um uh is losing his mind to alzheimer's and this these this week or so might conceivably be the last uh, uh consistently lucid days of his life um so yeah real cheery as you as you might uh, alzheimer's uh, stuff imagine. does get me like i have a hard yeah. time oh, watching it uh absolutely um uh, and this movie doesn't use it as cheap um you know sentimentality um it's it's treated very honestly and and, and very really and uh these um these two uh, you would uh I mean, I, it's no surprise that Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth are, are talented actors, but yeah. uh, you believe in their history from the from the jump. You understand their sort of prickly uh, relationship, prickly in like a good way, not like the uh, married couple in Black Bear, but yeah. like the way that uh, um, you know there are certain things. Even I obviously haven't been married to my wife for decades. I haven't been married for a decade. Uh, I've I've been married six uh, going on seven years um but still like there are things like you uh difference of differences of opinion that you actually love about the person but you're never quite gonna like give up needling them about it you know yeah. uh there's there's a lot of of that sort of thing uh in in supernova a lot of a lot of great touches um and uh yeah it, it feels like uh i i guess this is uh, an awards eligible movie it feels like it's not really getting um uh getting the attention uh that i that clearly the studio would probably want it to get but uh there's a lot of early buzz about stanley tucci specifically and deservedly he's so great in in the movie um yeah i would uh, oh i also wanted to mention the uh the cinematography of the movie which which is very you know uh, gentle and, 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 and picturesque, but it's also the, there's as they're driving in their big camper van, right. Mm-hmm. Repeatedly returns to this shot behind them, just out the window. It's kind of, in a way it's a pretty standard shot, but they're like in silhouettes. And because it's like a big camper van, it has a huge windshield. And so you're seeing them drive down these windy English countryside roads uh, and it looks like it looks dangerous. It's beautiful, but it's also like they're f- the, the, we can't see their faces. They're facing this onslaught of uh, countryside. We don't know what's around the next corner. The cars that pass them seem to be coming a little too close. There's like this mix of like this is beautiful and also this is very tense. That like even before we are let in on what actually what's actually going on with the with the uh with the couple um we get a sense of that mix of emotions of of what this journey is anyway um and then after that i watched uh i i feel bad that this movie has already become a punchline to a lot of people but uh john lee hancock's the little things sure uh it's a very 90s type of uh, serial killer movie, which is maybe why they said it in the nineties. I don't know yeah. why, uh, otherwise, um, I, I, I feel like a lot of what's being mocked about the movie is 
Jared Leto, who like, I, I just, I, I, I just can't stand Jared Leto anymore in movies. He just, uh, he, he's, he's uh, everything. Every choice he makes is look at this choice that I'm making, you know, yeah. look, even, uh, even in something like Blade Runner, uh, 2049, where it's, I feel like I, I like one, some of the stuff that he's doing there, but it's still fairly showy and, and very affected. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And I guess it kind of makes sense for that character. Whereas here in little things, the character is a suspect. It's a serial killer movie and he's the, yeah. he's the lead suspect, but very early on, I started to think, God, he better not be the killer. Like, because this is just, he's too much of a fucking weirdo this is too obvious. It'll be yeah. disappointing if it turns out that he's the killer. And I don't think that's what John Lee Hancock in the screenplay is going for with this character. I think we're right. supposed to feel along with the two detectives, Denzel Washington and Army Malik. Uh, again, they have names, but that's what I'll call yeah. them. Um, uh, I think we're supposed to feel their conviction that this is the guy. Um, but I kept getting taken out of it by uh, how, just blatantly bizarre in capital letters jared leto's character is um uh, other than that i think uh, you know johnny hancock is a director that i always want to like i feel like i'm rooting for him I, uh, the alamo carries a lot of weight with and, me and the rookie he came out of the gate with sure. the rookie and the alamo two great movies i don't feel like he's ever quite gotten back to there i know um uh i can't remember how i, I know scott liked the founder and you liked um I like the founder Mr. and I like Banks. saving Mr. Banks. Yeah. And I didn't really like either, either of those, uh, in this one, there's, um, I do think he's trying to, uh, use the, uh, sort of boilerplate nineties serial killer, uh, uh, drama to explore something that he wants to explore as, as opposed to just making a, uh, churning out a, a genre movie, which isn't, uh, wouldn't be a bad thing, but, um, uh, there's also a, um, and it's because of being friends with people like you is why I noticed this thing, these things, there's a lot of references to Jesus and God. And there's a lot of crosses in the movie. Um, the premise I haven't told, I haven't mentioned what the premise is Denzel Washington's character. Who's a sheriff's deputy in, uh, Kern County, which, uh, Tyler and I know where Kern County is, but if you're not, uh, um, if you're not from here, it's a couple hours north of Los Angeles. Um, my 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 place of origin, by the way, uh, yeah. Taft, California, is in Kern County, um, and and uh, he's has to come go to Los Angeles on a bit of procedural business to pick up some evidence or deliver some evidence. I actually, don't even remember. Uh, and we find out when he gets there, like, oh, he used to be an LA detective, and something went terribly wrong, or he burned out, or something, and now he's this uh, this low level. Um, uh, you know, he's instead of inv investigating serial killers, he's investigating, you know, like, uh, uh, teen vandals or whatever in, 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 in Kern County. It's the early nineties. So he's not quite the meth boom yet, I guess. Uh, sure. I mean, maybe if he stuck around a couple more years, he'd, he'd have uh, some real crimes to investigate. But, um, uh, anyway, so when he comes back, we, um, we find out that his old boss, who's now run still running the, uh, department played by, um, what's his name from Oz? Is it, Terry Kinney. Oh, Terry Kinney. Yeah. 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 Uh, so he's a very religious, like a devout Christian. We, we find that out and we, and the 
new hotshot detective played by Rami Malek, who at first they were at odds, they end up teaming up. Classic story. Um, is described by Chris Bauer's character, who's another old like oh, nice. uh, guy kicking around the 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 bullpen in the uh, here. Um, he's described as a holy roller, but th- we start to get the question of like, is he just? Is Rami Malek's character just kind of pretending to be devout? to move his way up the chain and kiss the ass sure. of his boss, Terry Kinney, but there's still crosses. There's that, um, it's an LA movie. So, uh, you'll know when you drive, uh, from the Valley to the, to Hollywood or Hollywood to the Valley from the one one you pass on the hillside and, and there's that enormous white cross. Yeah. Uh, we see that at least twice in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, we also, and, see- I mean, I've seen, I've seen, you know, images from the film. And I mean, Jared Leto's character has like long hair and a beard. Like, is he not that he's supposed to be a Jesus character? Uh, I don't know Jesus if that's intentional type, or not. But, okay. Um, uh, but yeah, there's also some Valley uh, stuff. I mentioned in the previous episode that Jared Leto's character goes to uh, a strip club, which is only a few blocks from where you used to live when you first moved to, yeah. to Los Angeles. He also visits, this took me so right out of the movie because he visits a bar that Natalie and I used to go to all the time before the pandemic. And it's so weird knowing like this is a nineties movie that takes place in like, like the fall of 1990. Sure. And there's, it's not like there's anything in this bar that shouts, 2020 except that i know it looks exactly like that. like if i yeah. walked into that bar right now that's what it looks like it looked yeah. like that with the last time i was there in january of 2020 uh that that took me out um but uh that's besides the point i've gone on uh i've gone on too far to say that basically this is all to say the little things is uh not a very good movie but also not as much of a laughing stock as uh you've heard it's basically just got one major casting with and is more of a uh a failed ambition movie than uh anything else not according to you know the hollywood foreign press and uh the screen actors guild uh jared leto is getting nominated for stuff which is just fascinating because not to talk about the draft but like he wasn't on anybody's radar it was like a big surprise and then it's the kind of thing it's like oh you golden globes but then then sag does it too it's like i don't know i don't know what i even believe anymore um okay so uh i watched an older film it was my first time seeing it it's the 1945 film uh detour directed by edgar g ulmer and uh, it's like 70 minutes long, if not actually even a little bit shorter. And so, and it's everything that you want from a noir. Um, it's not a detective noir. It's like a, 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 an everyman gets, you know, a poor, a poor schmuck gets pulled into a, a really unfortunate situation. Um, and I think visually it's, it's really good. It was definitely, it was done on a, on a lower budget and somehow that, it doesn't necessarily make it up. That doesn't make it a purer uh, film noir, but it does kind of work along the same lines as like a gun crazy or something like that. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I won't even go into it because I didn't know anything going into it. I just thought like, Oh, I've heard good things about this. I should give it a watch. And, uh, and I was surprised by all the different, uh, all the different turns and, and really loved it. And I will say that, it has like a like a top three femme fatale for me, uh, played by an actress appropriately named Anne Savage, uh, and I think you would love it. I think I saw it on on Canopy, so people can can watch it for free. And uh, I really, yeah it 
it's not that it took me by surprise. Again, I'd heard good things about it, but uh, you know, when you watch a movie like this, that kind of has that, it has that raw quality to it. Uh, and you're just like, man, this it's, at times it's almost funny. Like this poor guy just keeps getting into one bad situation after another. And you're like, this is, you know, this is almost like a Jack chick track about like this guy, like <laughs> angered God or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, detour, I, I highly recommend it. Yeah, no, I actually, I, I have seen it. Um, I, uh, oh, okay. uh, yeah, I think I have the, the criterion Blu-ray, but there's, uh, there's been multiple Blu-rays actually. Cause it's, oh, I don't think I it's knew in, that it's in the public, did it. It's in the public domain. Oh, um, I could see that. Yeah. So yeah. it's one of those movies that I think, uh, there were a lot of crappy versions out there, Sure, um, but I, uh, yeah. It's the, uh, anyway, Claire, um, next up for me, um, oh man, speaking of, if you thought little things is a movie, everyone's making fun of that. I kind of defended kind of, but not really. Um, everyone, on film Twitter, at least hates Malcolm and Marie. So I'm going to be the contrarian here sure. and say that I found this movie to be delightful <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, well, first off we should say, have you, have you watched, I'm guessing, no, you haven't watched Malcolm. No. Before? And the reviews aren't, aren't, uh, really making me want to either. So, but, uh, the premise is that, uh, John David Washington and Zendaya play a couple. He's a film director. They've just come home from his big successful film premiere. Um, and he, he didn't thank her when he was introducing the movie and that's where the fight starts, but then they end up fighting mostly for the next hour and 40 minutes. Um, but, uh, what I've just described is a drama about characters. That's not what this is. There's a one part, there's one part late, late in the movie when Zendaya accuses, sorry, Marie accuses Malcolm of, uh, you're just having an argument with yourself. And I was like, yes, that's what this whole movie is. This yeah. is not two characters. These are not people. This is Sam Levinson airing some shit out, yeah. but also it's like one of those arguments you have with someone in the shower and yeah. he actually wrote it down. <laughs> but I think people have focused too much on Malcolm, the, the character, Malcolm, um, uh, in, in his grievances and his, uh, ego and, 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 and because he's the filmmaker, people think of him as the surrogate for Sam right. Levinson, but they both are. And so when Marie calls Malcolm out on some of his bullshit, that's also Sam Levinson going like, like, I, I, I not that, I'm not saying, I don't think Sam Levinson doesn't believe the things he's putting in Malcolm's mouth, but yeah. I, I think he believes them very passionately, but also knows logically that it's not that simple. And, sure. um, there's, uh, and I think people aren't giving the movie enough credit for, um, being aware of Malcolm's hypocrisy at, at certain times, but I also don't necessarily want to defend the movie on the on the merits of the arguments being made. What I mo more want to defend is the idea. Uh, oh yeah. Sorry. Before I uh, put a pin in that, I also want to say that the, he repeatedly rails against um, a, uh, uh, a critic. He, he only refers to as the white lady from the New York times, Malcolm's character, or no, sorry, the white lady from the LA times, Malcolm's character says. Yeah. I was, and, I was reading about that. So I should, we should point out that a good friend of the show, Katie Walsh. Yeah wrote a very negative review of assassination nation Sam yeah. Levitt's previous film for the LA times. Look, I'm not saying that that's what he's writing about. 
it probably is i want to have her on the show and ask and and just yeah. say what's it like to have written a review so scathing that the director made his next movie about it yeah because <laughs> i'm kind of jealous i mean it's it's <laughs> sort of like when you go and watch lady in the water and you see bob balaban playing a critic named mr farber and then when you know stephen farber oh right yeah. he looks like him he his does, name's yeah. farber uh yeah it's it's kind of uh, funny how specific they can get um but also i should uh this is you know m- multiple degrees of 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 separation but uh i sat next to katie at the press screening of assassination nation i remember her not liking it and i remember clamming up about the fact that i did like assassination nation because for the same reason i feel like uh, and i'll get back to my the point i was going to make in a second um but I, I, you know i i talked about uh on a recent patreon episode the idea of when something is made directly for me to agree with it i mm-hmm. tend to reject that sure whereas the opposite like malcolm murray is a movie that is made designed to piss off film twitter and sure. a part of me that likes dumb provocation the part of me that likes todd phillips movies <laughs> not because they're like oh he's such a cunning provocateur no he's a dumb provocateur sure. but I, he's but he gets under people's skin anyway and i kind of enjoy that but the issue, and this gets me back to what I was, the thing I put a pin in, I wanted to get back into. And this is because I uh, had a conversation with Natalie who was asking if she thought, or if I thought she would like the movie. And I don't think she would, but my argument is that if a politician makes a speech, right? The, the quality of speech making and of diction and of word choice and all of that stuff are secondary to the content of the speech because that person is a politician. That person has an effect on on uh, on policy what they're what they're actually saying is more important than how they say it in that case when an artist makes a statement even if it's a dumb statement mm-hmm. the passion and the flair with which they make that statement is part of the merit of it because sure. it's art because it's expression and so I don't have to agree with everything Malcolm says in the movie or or everything Marie says I don't actually i don't even like either of them most of the, like both of them uh are more have more flaws than virtues and uh, i wouldn't want to spend two hours with them in real life yeah. but that's not what the movie's for and that's not how i think liking characters is a very uh david thulis and i'm thinking of ending things way of deciding whether or not to like a movie yeah um uh and so uh, i think that the 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 clear passion with which Sam Levinson made Malcolm Malcolm and Marie and um, how uh, deeply he feels these things and how uh, again people aren't getting, giving him credit for being conflicted. There's a there's a great moment in the movie where he's talking about Malcolm is repeatedly throughout the movie is talking about himself as an auteur is talking about how critics should spend more time on form and technique and less on, uh, uh, grafting their own politics onto a movie, which again, I felt attacked, which I like. Um, I agree with him. Uh, it sounds like I'm going to love this uh, movie, uh, but he also said my religion uh, on stuff. So was something I 
do agree with. Uh, he also points out that, uh, or, or complains about critics not knowing actually how films are made and like not knowing things about like the difference between a steady cam and a dolly mm. and, and, and what lenses do and stuff like that. Sure. And that's something I actually do uh, agree with that, that, that you should know that those, or at least have some knowledge of those sorts of things. Um, uh, okay. So he's, he's, t- but he, he's clearly referring to himself as an auteur and um, resisting Marie's, uh, 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 reminders that that cinema that filmmaking is a collaborative process. He resists that at every point. But then there's a moment where she's criticizing him for a scene in the movie in which the uh, the movie he made in which the actress takes her shirt off. That she doesn't think that that was uh, uh, the right choice for that scene. And he says, uh, actually, that was her idea. Like that was the actress's idea. It's like, oh, so in that. But she doesn't call him on that. But sure. the movie, I think, I think people aren't giving the movie credit or Sam Levinson credit for being aware of the hypocrisy of that moment of yeah. he gets to take credit for all the parts of the movie that people like. And he can put, uh, when someone disagrees with a choice, he can say, well, that was the actress. Right. Um, I've gone especially, on, especially when it's a situation that like, like, Hey, like someone's like, Hey, I'd like to get nude for the movie. It's like my hands are tight, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It's Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so right, I, uh, I've got one more and then have one and more. Then, yeah. Uh, and then we'll go to you. Uh, next up, I watched Chad Hardigan's little fish. Um, Chad Hardigan made a movie back in 2013 called this is Martin Bonner that I, mm. that I liked. Uh, and then he made a movie from called Morris from America, which I didn't like, even though I think he's probably a more well-received, uh, uh, little fish is, um, uh, <laughs> Okay, if I'm going to be mean, I actually like the movie. If I'm going to be mean, I would say it's a uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind wannabe. It's yeah. another sort of sci-fi-ish movie. Uh, takes place in a very near future in which a couple played by Olivia Cook and Jack O'Connell, two great actors, that goes a long way. Yeah. Um, uh, you've also got music by Keegan DeWitt, uh, who is a composer who does like all of Alex Ross Perry's movies. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of pedigree that... Uh, 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 elevates this movie uh it takes place in a near future in which there's a disease spreading through uh the world that causes people to lose their memories and um so uh, uh, uh i'm gonna keep i'm just gonna keep referring to characters by the actors names because i can never remember the actors names but uh jack o'connell and and olivia cook are a somewhat recently married couple and that but until he starts he starts losing his memory and then they are sort of trying to figure out how to preserve things, how to move forward. And through this, as he's losing memories, we're getting flashbacks to how their relationship came together. Um, so I think I was being mean before when I dismissed it as an eternal sunshine wannabe. And I think if you think of it, if you approach it like that, and if Chad Hardigan had approached it like that, it would have been more of a failure. I think, uh, um, the movie is actually actually has a different thing to say, which is about it's less about memory and it's more using memory as the the memory loss is a high concept way of saying that um, people change and relationships change and trying to resist that, trying to force a relationship or the person you're in a relationship with to stay the way it was or the way they were um, is going to cause more more pain and not be successful and the way to move through relationship is to continue to adapt with the person you've committed yourself to. So, uh, I liked it more than I thought I would, or more than 
my initial description made it sound like. Uh, okay. So next up for me is probably going to mispronounce the last name. Uh, uh, Emerald Fennell or Fennell? I don't know. Oh, well. Uh, her uh, Promising Young Woman. Yeah. Um, I saw that. And um, I you know she her... plays, I know you, we, we, I didn't talk about this on the TV journal on Patreon. Um, she's an actress too. And she plays Camilla Parker Bowles on The Crown. Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Um, but uh, if I recall correctly, you were not necessarily like over the moon about the movie, but you didn't dislike it either. Like, no, I, I pretty much disliked it. You, oh, you did dislike it. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'd go so far as say I actively disliked it, but it, it, it did. It just felt like some things were missing and I can't even really put my finger on what um, I do think that like, I think the uh, visually, I think it's okay. I think the, the, the performer, it's got a great cast and I feel like occasionally they're utilized as well as they can be. I think that that moment with Clancy Brown is great uh, where he's talking about like, I, we missed you or, or whatever it was. Um, and, but there's just something, I don't know what it is. Like, there's just something about the movie. I felt like it could have hit harder. Um, and then after a certain point, I don't know. I think I like how it starts more than not even necessarily how it ends, but like once her revenge plot kicks in, uh, it feels a lot more, it feels a lot more on autopilot. Uh, and it, it definitely feels like the film lets her off the hook a lot. Um, not to mention there's a, there's a, like, she's someone who does not trust the system at all. And then in the very last moment of the film, she's trusting it quite a bit. Um, and uh yeah it's it's a it's a hard movie for for me to discuss because i can't quite i was talking about it with some with some friends and uh it i i continually found myself kind of frustrated and i also felt like there are moments where it could have been moments where it was underwritten by which i mean like oh you probably could have developed this character more which maybe would have helped this other character's motivation or whatever it is. So yeah, by and large, I found it. Um, I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't say I disliked it. Although I guess now that I say it, now that I put it this way, I guess that's when you say that you found a film unsatisfying, I guess that would qualify as not liking it, even though there are moments I really like, there are performances I really like. Uh, and I think, I think the visual, the director's visual sense is pretty strong. I'm interested to see what she does next, but this film, I just, I kept waiting for it to like explode and it never, it never quite did for me. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's part of my problem with it is it feels like there's, it, it, there's no danger to the movie. It's, there's never a, a, yeah. a, a wrong, a wrong step. Um, yeah. Everything's, everything's perfectly in place. It feels a little bit too safe of a movie. Yeah. And I do think some of that, you know, it, it's understandable why Carrie Mulligan's character is doing what she's doing. And it, there are times when it feels like, Oh, she's, she's obsessive, but that the film is also saying it's like, yes, but look at the problem. Wouldn't you be obsessive? Can't you like, I, I it's, it's a problem I have, as you know, from time to time where 
uh, especially if it's like an issue driven movie where it's just like any, any, any uh, moment that the film that the director has where it's like, where he or she might be suggesting like a, uh, some kind of character flaw or something like that. That's perfunctory at best. The rest of the time, it's just like, no, we're totally on board with what she's doing. We believe in what she is doing. And that does make, it makes the movie much safer, I think. So yeah, yeah I, I agree with you. Uh, I will point out that cause Karen Mulligan's great. Um, and there's, I feel like a, I, I, there's certain things we do this show 14 years. There are things I repeat over and over again, but I feel like I've talked about the interview that I read with, I think it was Robert Downey Jr. Talking and one of the, he, and uh, well, I think that really stuck with me is that he said, one of the hardest things to do as an actor is to appear surprised. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene early in promising young woman where Carrie Mulligan, Mulligan's character is so checked out of life that she has forgotten it's her birthday. Yeah. And that moment, that, that moment, that little scene is so great. And so, so well acted. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, if the movie were actually more about her character, maybe we would have uh, uh, gotten to see more of that. Right. All right. Uh, next up is a movie that I, chose to watch and review based entirely on the name of the director. It's a new movie from Neil Marshall. Uh, I like Neil Neil Marshall. A lot of people do. Uh, But this one feels, I I don't know. It's just, I don't know if it's just a lack of budget or maybe he was busy or with other things or or whatever, but this movie is called the reckoning and uh, it just feels like uh, it feels like cheap, like direct to DVD uh, uh, horror from, from from 15 uh or 20 years ago um uh, which is too bad because if i actually tell you the story there's actually there's a there's an interesting idea there it's a 17th 17th century england uh, a woman is uh incorrectly accused of being a witch she's held captive and every day she spends all day being tortured by the witch finder uh mm-hmm. by an actor named sean pertwee uh who's, who's a Wait, good like it? sean pertwee Oh yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah, and yeah I think he was. I think he was in Dog Soldiers as well. Uh, okay, I didn't see Dog Soldiers, but yeah, this mm-hmm. new Marshall movie makes sense. Uh, and he's he's great. He's like hamming it up, and he's got a great sort of character actor voice. You know, um, he's the best part of the movie. But uh, sorry to get back to the premise. So she's kept uh, in a jail cell at night all day. She's tortured. Uh, she's again not a witch. This is all just like basically because her uh landlord she wouldn't like put out for her landlord when he wanted to have sex with her instead of her paying the rent um and he accused her of being which that's where this all started from but then in that jail cell at night satan actually does start coming to visit her <laughs> um, and that's like uh uh that's it's a fun development but the movie is just uh so cheap looking so corny so outside of sean pertwee unfortunately so poorly acted hmm. um uh, it, it never could really get it. Uh, there's a couple of Neil Marshall has his, uh, his, his way with a couple of like non-dialogue moments. It's a part of early on work. Cause her husband has died and there's a, a, a bit where he, he cross cuts between her husband's death and her like digging his grave on their, uh, uh, you know, on, on the farm or, or, or whatever. That's a, a like com- completely wordless, which is probably why, why it works. Uh, nice, like stylistic sequence. Um, and then later in the movie, there's a very gruesome, uh, head crushing death that, mm. uh, uh, is, is well done. And, and, uh, 
I felt the whole budget went into that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. You should have two more, right? Yes. So you do one. I do one. You do one. Okay. Okay. Uh, Next up for me is Paul Greengrass's news of the world. Oh, I liked this movie. I did too. A lot. Um, It's, it's, it's my kind of thing on every level, of course. Um, It's, it's a Western and not that I necessarily like uh, all Westerns, but it's, it's the kind of Western I like, which is a little bit more meditative. Yes, there's some action, there's gunplay and that sort of thing, but uh, taking its cue from its main character, you know, not everybody in the old West was uh, uh, a criminal, a lawman or a prostitute or a bartender. You know what I mean? Like there are these other little uh, corners of this uh, this world and uh, Tom Hanks plays a character that that exists in one of them and has made a, a life for himself. And one thing that I like is that you keep you keep expecting there to be a moment because he you know he's a, a war vet he wore, was in the Civil War um, and you keep expecting the film to go dumb and there's a moment where like he's threatened and you discover like oh he's a, he was a war vet so maybe he's more capable in a fight than you think. But he's not really. Uh, he can do whatever needs to be done, but he actively is trying to avoid it. Like he has a gun that's pretty much worthless, uh, and and he's he's avoiding these things while still. But he still can't help but have a certain degree of defiance, as we see when he goes into uh, that one camp, which might be my favorite scene. Is him uh, being told to say this, this news story, that's clearly just like propaganda, Mm -hmm. uh, complete with, uh, ridiculous illustrations. Um, and instead he tells an inspiring true story that speaks to the, the, the individual, you know, the, that, that connects with the, the, the listeners on a, on an individual level. Uh, so I, I really like that. It's that there's a real specificity to this character, to what he is doing and why he's doing it. And then the addition of this, this young girl, it's such like, I think the film would have been fascinating, even if she wasn't a part of it, if it was just him living this life, but now she's this, this other aspect of things. And essentially he's becoming one of the stories that he tells. And I think she does a great job. And I remember, uh, you were talking about, um, Oh hell, I've already forgotten the name of it. George Clooney's a sci-fi movie, the midnight sky, the midnight sky. And I haven't seen it yet. I probably will, even though I don't think I'm going to like it very much. Uh, but there's the addition of, oh, there's this this child who doesn't talk. And when she shows up, I was like, oh, is this going to be that? But it's not. It, she communicates regularly and and but does so only in her own language. And you get a real sense of what she's been through on a couple different levels. And I think that she and Tom Hanks really have great chemistry and uh, just from a pacing standpoint, it's it's very much the kind of Western I like. Uh, and it also talks about journalism and the need for the need for journalism and the need for reporting uh, and doing so in a way that's like there's a yes, you can manip- a person could manipulate this if they wanted to. Uh, and what does it look like to fight that manipulation without going into your own manipulation there there's just so much and i i love the score by james newton howard um i tend to like him and i i think it's beautifully shot wonderfully written well acted it really i i just liked it a lot uh it's also yeah you mentioned uh tom hanks and uh 
and the girl whose name is Helena Zengel. Yeah. Um, but it's also because it's a road trip movie. That means it's episodic, which means you get a parade of oh, great, yeah. uh, supporting performances. Um, you got the great Ray McKinnon mm-hmm. uh, and, and Mayor Winningham. Mayor Winningham. Yeah, it's nice TV's, to see her. From TV's The Affair. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, Elizabeth Marvel is an actress I love, and, 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 and she's great too yeah. but uh the, the sort of up-and-comer here is michelangelo covino uh who, who plays the kind of a kind of villainous guy in one uh uh a yeah, he's, he's definitely villain. yeah but he's he, really uh, good so he uh co-wrote directed and starred in the climb the uh, uh, oh, sort yeah. of indie hit um and and uh uh yeah i feel like uh now, I'm not good at these kind of prognostications, but I feel like we're going to be hearing a lot more from Michelangelo Covino in the coming years. Um, yeah. Like, even though this is a supporting, it's a supporting role, but it's a, there's a showiness to it and he, mm-hmm. he it's, there's genuine uh, menace there. And yeah, it's a good movie. Great. And great performances all around. Yeah. He, he kind of has the look of uh, Michelangelo Covino in general has a look of like, uh, um, like, Oscar Isaac gone to seed a little bit. <laughs> you know? uh, yeah. Oscar uh, Isaac after a rough few months. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'll say about news that I'm repeating myself, I think from the movie journal, I'm a sucker for stories about storytelling or movies oh, yeah. about storytelling. And that's uh, uh, this movie uh, repeatedly in a different ways um, invokes the power of storytelling to inspire people or to piss them off or to serve ends like propaganda or whatever the things you're talking about. Anyway, uh, Last movie for me uh, is Miss Juneteenth, uh, which is a uh, one of those. Uh, it, it reminded me, and I guess um, uh, because there's a beauty pageant in this one too, it reminded me of another re- recent a movie from a few years ago called Dumplin'. That's just like uh, a charming, in some ways, by the book. Uh, um, uh, small town slice of life uh, inspiration type setup, uh, but told with enough um, of its own point of view uh, and with enough honesty um, and great performances um, to really stand out. Uh, Miss Juneteenth, <clears throat> Nicole Bahari plays a woman in a small uh, town in is it Texas? I think uh, I can't remember if it's Texas. Yes, it is. It's the it's uh, outside of Fort Worth. Um, who, uh, when she was a teenager, had won the annual Miss Juneteenth pageant, which is, uh, uh, um, I, I guess, part of the this town, this very uh, African American town's uh, annual Juneteenth um, celebrations. They have they have a, a pageant, and now her daughter is of pageant age, and she, um, so the, winning the pageant comes with scholarship money and, and some things. And Nicole Byer's character. Uh, feels like she didn't make the, or at least we get the impression the movie doesn't thankfully doesn't like literalize the, the struggles and the motivations there. These are very like uh workaday people getting by in their, in their jobs and trying to come up, scrape together the, the money to keep the lights on and pay for the pageant entry fee and stuff like that at the same time. Um, but we get the impression she feels like she didn't make the most of her shot. And uh, so she's putting a lot of pressure on her daughter to, to win Miss Juneteenth, to take the, the scholarship and go to, uh, uh, to, to like Spelman or one of the other historically black, uh, colleges and universities that the scholarship, uh, applies to. Um, uh, and that's not necessarily what the, what the daughter wants. So it's, um, um, you know, it's a, it's a mother daughter sort of, uh, 
uh, friction uh, movie, but it's really more about Nicole Bahari's uh, character and her sort of um, wrestling with her own dissatisfaction with her life. And um, hopefully as the movie goes on, recognizing that she's not doing her daughter any favors by uh, pushing that dissatisfaction onto, onto her. Um, uh, I'll also mention that a uh, couple of actors, a couple of TV actors uh, show up that I really like. Uh, Kendrick Sampson, who's on Insecure. I don't know if we've ever talked about Insecure on this podcast before, um, but uh, but but he shows up. And then an actress whose name I'm forgetting. Uh, I have it right here. I swear to God. Um, nope. Can't find it. Um, Liz... Uh, Mikael or Liz Michael. Uh, anyway, she uh, was um, on Friday Night Lights. She was Smash's mom, if you remember from Friday oh, yeah, Night okay. Lights. Uh, she's a, she's she's uh, Nicole Bahari's coworker in the movie. So uh, yeah, uh, I think a, a very uh, one of those movies that I, I I tend to really respond to because it's very modest, and, but also very personal and in its own way. Uh, very universal and massive at the same time. All right. So my last film is Rada Blank's The 40-Year-Old Version, um, which I did not like. Um, and I wanted to because it's like, oh, theater, that's fun. I enjoy that that kind of thing. Uh, and, and I was rooting for it. Uh, it's, you know, uh, this woman telling sort of a, a, a version of, of her own story. Um, but yeah, it, it bothered me on a number of levels. Um, first, like I'll say this, everything rap related was great. I really liked that. I really responded to it. She's clearly very talented in that regard. Um, I don't think she's the strongest actress and that's not a thing I say very often. It takes a lot for, for an actor to sort of take me out of things, but she's the lead and there are moments that just don't totally ring true for me emotionally. Um, and then also there is just this, it's tough when you know that the, that the person who, that you're seeing on screen is also the writer and the director and mm -hmm. it's their life. And then everybody wants to have sex with her. You know, it's, you've got the homeless guy across the street. You have two of her students, men, uh, male and female. Then you've got this, this other younger guy, uh, who is like an attractive, uh, young man. Who's very like hip, uh, showing that I am not when I say stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the character he's, he's the, with it, he's with it. He gets yeah. it. Uh, but, um, you know, so, but whatever that, that doesn't actually bother me. It's just, it's one more thing. And, and this idea that she, um, and, and from a, from a script standpoint, when she just decides like she's had enough with what she's doing and she's like, well, I was always a good rapper. I was like, what? You just created a superpower for yourself in this moment. You actually had the mo you had an opportunity to sit, to introduce this as a concept earlier, but only when you decide you want to do it, are we now hearing about this? And so like, it's stuff like that, that feels, and that's, that's the downside of writing, you know, producing, writing, directing, and starring something uh, of your own is that like, there might've been uh, 
people that could have weighed in and said, Hey, you know, you could probably rearrange this and make something work a little bit more. And maybe the, the, I, I thought the humor was extremely, extremely broad. Uh, like there's a scene where she that fucking was strangles my, a guy. That was my, um, if you remember from the movie journal that, uh, when I talked about it, cause I liked this movie, but that was my criticism is that people were describing it as a comedy and the comedy is the least effective and least successful part of the movie. No question about it. Uh, and, and it's the kind of thing where I think the style in which she made it, cause I do think it's a good looking movie, not merely because it's black and white, but the way that she uses black and white, I think works for me. Uh, there are some really nice high contrast, uh, sequences and like characters in silhouette. I like that. Um, but it is, it kind of has that, that grainy quality. I think she shot at what? 35 millimeter or something like that. Oh, did she? I didn't, um, but like shot it on actual film. And that's the problem is when you have scenes with like, with these sort of broad characters, with these really kind of standard generic jokes, but you shoot it in like a gritty realistic kind of way, the two are going to be at odds. And I feel like if she had shot it a different way or, or tried to create a different tone, I might've been able to accept this type of comedy more, but I think what she's doing and how she's doing it are actually uh, butting heads, which, which does bum me out because I do think some of the other actors do a, a fine job. And again, like there are moments that really work for me with her, but there are other moments where it just felt like, I don't know, uh, from a performance standpoint, maybe from an editing standpoint, it just felt like things weren't, uh, I don't know. It just felt a little bit awkward at times and not purposely awkward. Um, there is, there is one moment that made me laugh out loud and it's, it's a purely, it's a, it's an editing moment and it worked really well for me. And it's, and it's right after a moment I hate it. Uh, and it's when she's at this party and she's talking about like denying herself the, the braised ribs, which are right over there in the corner. And then, uh, then she has that moment where she actually like strangles a guy in what I automatically instinctively assumed was a fantasy sequence, but it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> but then it smash cuts to her in her apartment, eating ribs out of like a styrofoam container. And like, <laughs> and she doesn't reference it, but it's just like, I could see the whole journey. She'd been denying herself this thing. And then on the way home, she's like, you know what? Fuck it. I still want those ribs. <laughs> so she went, so she stopped somewhere for ribs that worked for me. And I feel like if the film had, had more moments like that, which aren't really underlined, they're just kind of there. I think I would have liked it a lot more, but as it is, I was, I'd heard such good things about the movie and I was really looking forward to it. Uh, but I feel like it just, I don't know. It just didn't, uh, didn't work for me. And I really, I really wanted it to.